Good morning again, church. Uh, for uh, those that are just joining us, again, my name is Travis, I'm the pastor here. It is great to be worshiping with you and here with you today, and, and we're going to continue in our series uh, that we're calling The Church, The Gospel Made Visible, um, and, and this is all uh, about laying a, a solid foundation um, and what we talked about last week is, is we are what's, in called, uh, what's called the core group phase of church planning. So the goal is, uh, I know the uh, plan of, of the original plan of the church at Haynes Creek was a, a campus of First Baptist Covington. We've been operating as a campus uh, for five years now. Um, but the plan is in the new year, we are launching out as our own independent church plan. I hope you're excited about that. I know I'm excited about that. Um, and, and like I said, this period of time that we're in is often referred to as the core group phase or the launch phase of church planning. And it's all about preparing ourselves and laying a foundation uh, for the church that we believe God is calling us to be. So that's why we're spending time. I know it seems like we're kind of jumping around from place to place. We're in, you know, one passage here one week. We're in a totally different one the next week. I, I get to kind of be disconnected and things like that. But uh, these are all passages, key passages about the church. Like I said, the goal is let's lay a solid biblical foundation for who we believe the, the, the Lord has called us to be as a church. So uh, that's what we're doing here. We're laying our solid foundation. We're preparing our hearts, our minds. I would encourage you to be praying, be seeking the Lord, uh, because the, the truth is, like I said last week, this is our team. This is the group of people. The Lord has brought you and your family here for this moment, for this time, to plant a new church, a brand new work of the gospel. And I hope that gets you excited. Um, and like we said last week, we are going to set a launch date. We're going to pick a date. Uh, I'll announce that to you in a moment, but we have our launch date that we're going to look forward to, that we're going to be praying for, and it is going to be a day of celebration um, for what God has done for the last five years and anticipate and what, look ahead to what the Lord's going to do for the next 50 years at the Church of Haynes Creek. Uh, so that Sunday, I want you to circle it, be ready for it, uh, is going to be January 30th. So Sunday, January 30th in the new year, 2022, uh, we are going to launch launch the church at Haynes Creek. And the fun thing about that uh, is that we are going to be done with this series the Sunday before. So on the 30th, we're going to launch a new series. Uh, we're going to be going verse by verse uh, through a key and important, and they're all important books of the Bible. We're going to go through a, a really central key book of the Bible, verse by verse. Um, and that is going to be I'll announce it next week, actually. Um, so be here next week. We'll announce that next week for you. We're going to start this new series on the 30th as we celebrate on that Sunday. Again, celebrating what the Lord has done for the last five and looking ahead to what the Lord is going to do for the next 50. And, and like I said, church, this is all a, a season of preparation. So I want us to be praying. I want us to be uh, looking to, to invite others into this new work, into the kingdom of God. That's what we're all called to do. We're called to love God, love people, and make disciples. We don't have to wait till January 30th to start doing that. We can do that right here, right now. So look with eyes open to see who is the Lord put me around? Who can I uh, share the gospel with? Who can I invite in to this work to come alongside us as we plant this church? Um, so today we're going to continue to lay our foundation. Um, as JB read for us, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 12. And as you read, we're going to be hanging out in verses 3 through 8. Um, and today we're going to look, again, as we're laying this foundation, we're going to look uh, to see what the Lord has for us here in this passage, and we're going to talk about being the type of church that serves one another. So that's where we're going today. Again, that's Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And just to kind of give you some context as to what's going on in the book of Romans, uh, Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And it's a, if you've ever read it, if you've ever studied it, walk through it slowly, it is a dense book, right? It is a dense book with a lot of stuff. Uh, Paul goes deep into theology in the first 11 chapters. This is what it's all about. He dives deep into theology, into laying this biblical theological foundation of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So that's what he takes up in the first 11 chapters. Uh, that's his focus. And then in Romans 12, 1, he, he shifts. He shifts his focus, and he gets far more practical than he was in the first 11 chapters. So he lays this foundation, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. And then in Romans 12, 1, he says, okay, based on that, here's what our lives are supposed to look like. If you're going to claim the name of Christ, you're going to live for Jesus, here's what our lives are supposed to look like. And I, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard Romans 12, 1 through 2. I think we read it for our call to worship last week, actually. Uh, it talks about how we are to give our lives as a living sacrifice for Jesus. 
that we're to give him just full devotion and full, uh, just, Lord, whatever you want for my life, it's yours. That's what we're called to do, be a living sacrifice. And we're also called to have our minds transformed by Jesus and the gospel. So what Paul talks about is that we used to have this old life that was all about our sin, chasing after our sin, diving deep into our sin, hearts for sin, not for Jesus. We're slaves to our sin. He says, but when you put your faith in Jesus, you're made brand new. And now you have this new life to walk in Jesus Christ. And part of that is a transformed mind, that our mind is not led astray by our sin and the ways of this world anymore, that it's shaped and molded by Jesus. So give our lives for Jesus, living sacrifice, minds transformed. That's where he goes for the rest of his letter in, in the book of Romans. So 12 through the end of 16, that's what he's focused on. That's what he's talking about. And the first thing he brings up is if he was preaching this sermon, his first points would be focused on relationships within the church. That's the first place he goes. So he says, hey, give your life for Jesus. Let your mind be transformed. And the first practical way you show that is in your relationships with one another, especially within the church. So that's where he goes in our passage today. That's Romans 12, 3 through 8. Uh, I'm going to read that for us again, and we're going to spend our time digging deep into this, seeing what the Lord has for us as a result of this passage. So it says again, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so what Paul tells us here in this passage is as the church, we are to be, uh, we, we are to have these characteristics, certain things. He says that, that in the church, there should be humility, unity, and serving. The people of God, individual Christians, and when we come together as the body of Christ, as a bunch of believers gathering together, we are to demonstrate the characteristics of humility, unity, and service. So that's where we're going today. That's the outline. Those are the main points. Uh, So our first one, humility. Humility. Paul says here in in verse 3, he starts out saying, I say this to everyone among you, every single person I'm talking to, everybody in the church of Rome, and by extension, everybody in our church here today. He's saying this to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So we're called here to, to not think more highly than ourselves, but instead to think with sober judgment. Well, what's he talking about here? What does he mean by this? Well, that phrase, uh, don't think more highly than you ought to think, this is how the weird languages are, are different. That, that whole phrase, one word in the Greek language, it's weird. Uh, but when he says that, what he's talking about, he's basically saying, don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't have a bunch of pride in your heart. Don't be arrogant. Paul's saying here, in the church, there, there's no room for pride and arrogance. There's no room for thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Don't be prideful. Don't be prideful. And look, this is the first example that Paul gives of a transformed mind. Remember the context here. This is all connected together. So he says, give your lives as a living sacrifice. Have your mind be transformed. And oh, by the way, you know what that looks like? A transformed mind, what that looks like? No pride. No pride. You want to live for Jesus? You want your life to look like Jesus's? Kill off your pride. Kill off your arrogance. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Now look, if you study the Bible at all, you know how often the Bible speaks against the sin of pride. Oftentimes in the New Testament, you see uh, lists of sins given where Paul or other authors are just throwing out examples of sinful behavior, and pride is almost always included in that list. It's pride or arrogance or boasting. Some version of, of pride is listed in that. 
Jesus speaks against us. He says this in, in Matthew 23, speaking to the Pharisees, people who were consumed with pride, people who had been the, the definition of thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Jesus says this to him: whoever exalts himself, whoever you know puffs himself up, whoever thinks more highly of himself will be humbled, will be brought down. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6 says it this way, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but, but God opposing us in our pride is, is kind of a terrifying thought. When God says, hey, I'm against you, I'm opposing you, that's not a good thing. All right, that's not, you don't want him as your opposition. You're going to lose. That's bad. That, that's how damaging pride can be. God says, I oppose the proud. I'm against the proud. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. So what the Bible calls us to do is we are called to destroy our pride before it destroys us. We are to destroy our pride before it destroys us. We are to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We are not to have pride. We are not to have arrogance. Instead, what Paul tells us here, instead we are to think with sober judgment. Sober judgment. Well, what does that mean? What's he talking about there? Sober judgment means to, to have a clear head about yourself, to think clear-headedly about yourself, to have an accurate view of yourself. So instead of pride and arrogance, we are to have humility. We're to have humility. And why does Paul start here? Why does Paul start here with pride? It's because pride can destroy a community. Pride can destroy a church. It absolutely can. That's how damaging our pride can be. See, when we're, when we're filled with pride, and it just damages everything around us. Paul, speaking about the same type of things, uses some similar language here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He says this. It says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So again, Paul is talking about this difference between pride and humility. And what does he say? He says pride leads to selfish ambition and conceit. Other translations might say vain conceit. It just kind of lays the picture that this is really bad. This is not good. Nothing good comes from it. So pride leads to selfish ambition. It leads to conceit. It leads to, to looking just for ourselves, looking out just for me and not anybody else. Uh, some of the ways this, this fleshes itself out in our relationships with one another is if we're filled with pride, it, it can lead to us being extremely condescending towards those around us, right? Like we, we think we're better and we act like we're better and we're going to look down on everybody else. It leads to having this condescending view, thinking you're better than other people. It leads to gossip. And that can be so, I mean, you, you read the book of Proverbs, you will see uh, that the, the authors of scripture uh, thought gossip was a, was a terrible sin. And the reason why is because it damages relationships, and it all goes back to pride. If we're filled with pride, thinking we're better than everybody else around us, and we got no problem trashing other people behind their backs. It leads to us holding grudges. We don't walk in forgiveness because why would we? I mean, you shouldn't wrong me. I'm, I'm clearly I'm better than you. Clearly, I have my act together more than you. If you wrong me, well, then I'm never going to forgive you. I just, it, it leads to us holding grudges. It, it leads to sarcastic comments and using our words to wound people. It leads to seeing people as a means to an end, just using people for our own gain, our own benefit. And it leads to a, a lack of honesty and vulnerability, which is needed in any relationship. But if, again, if I'm filled with pride, why am I going to be honest? Why am I actually going to show you how, how messed up I truly am? No, I want to keep up this appearance that, that I have my act together, that I'm, that I'm better than everybody else. And if I'm honest, if I'm vulnerable, well, that goes out the window. So you see here that, that pride kills relationships. It kills community, and it can kill a church. So in these, in these early days, especially for us as a church plant, we cannot let pride come in here. We have to kill it off. We have to get rid of it, and instead, instead we're to have humility. As Paul says in, in, in Philippians 2 that we just read, instead we are to count others as more significant than ourselves. 
count others as more significant than ourselves. That's what humility is. And see, when we walk in humility, what we do is it gives us the eyes of Christ. We start to see people as Christ would see them, not as a means to an end, not, not for just people to be used for our own good. No, no, we see them with the eyes of Christ as people to be loved, cared for, and served. It leads us to, to speak well of others at all times, to use our words to, to build up and encourage and not to tear down. It leads us to walk in forgiveness, knowing that, that we've been forgiven much so that we can walk in forgiveness to those around us. And it leads to honesty. If we have an accurate view of ourselves, if we're honest about ourselves, then we know how messed up we all truly are, right? And how much we are in need of a Savior, that Jesus himself had to die on a cross for my sin and your sin. So if we have an accurate view of ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, well, then what do we have to fear to be honest with other people? Jesus already knows every wicked thing about us, and he still loves us and still died for us on the cross. So because of that, if I have that mindset, if I know who I truly am in Christ, well, then I can be honest with one another. I can be honest and vulnerable with those around me. I don't have anything to fear. This is how we, we have relationships within the church. Right? And this is, a, this is the, the dichotomy here between pride and humility between the damage that pride can cause and the beautiful community that humility can lead to. And that, that's where we want to go, church. That's what we want to have here at the church at Haynes Creek. No pride, but humility. So we're to be marked with humility and not pride. So that's the first thing that Paul talks about. The second thing he brings up is unity. Unity. The church is to be unified. Look at what he says in verses 4 through 5. He says, For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So the church is made up of many individuals, right? Many people, many members, but we're still one body in Christ. That's, that's what the church is. We were, we're lots of individual believers, but we're brought together into the same family, into the same body of Christ. That, that's what the church is supposed to be about. And, and he says here that, that we don't all have the same function, which means that, that we're all different. We're all different, we're, and we're not supposed to be the same, right? We're, we're not the same. We're not supposed to be the same. We are supposed to be different. And there's beauty in the differences. There's, there's goodness in the differences. See, the church is supposed to be marked by its diverse unity, by its diverse unity. That's what we're supposed to look like. That's what we're supposed to be about. See, with the church... God takes a bunch of different people, a bunch of different people, a bunch of different backgrounds, a bunch of different ethnicities, a bunch of different types of families, different jobs, different political leanings, different worship preferences, different theological leanings, you know, those things that are open-handed issues that we all love to argue about. You got the Calvinists on one side, you got the Arminians on the other side, we just love to battle each other and fight it out. God says, no, you're supposed to be in the same body. He brings us all together, people like that. He brings us all together and he says, hey, you're unified. You're one body and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You're supposed to celebrate your differences. So he takes all, all of us that, that, are, that are different, and he places us in this one family, and he calls us to be unified. He calls us to be together. And look, if we're honest, if we're real, which again, I hope we can be here. Let's, let's be honest here. If we're real, because we're all so different, unity can take some work, Right? Unity can take some effort because here's the truth. Here's the reality. It's easy to divide. It's easy to bicker and argue. It's easy to complain about the things we don't like. It's easy to gossip about people that we don't like. It's easy to hold tightly onto our preferences. It's easy to take these things that are supposed to be open-handed, and then we close them, and we demand that everybody else bow down to our preferences, our ideas, what we want. It's easy to do that. It's easy. And look, that, that's what our culture does, right? Our, our culture is great at division. But God calls the church to be great at unity. He calls us to be great at unity. 
And look, if you study the history of the early church, which I get it, I'm a nerd, so I like that kind of stuff. And you're like, who is this guy? I get it, I know. Um, I like that kind of stuff. And when you study the, the early church, the, what happens after the end of the first century, the close of the New Testament, what happens after that? Those first few centuries, the church is just exploding all over the Roman Empire. It is massive growth. And when you study how that happened and what led to that, one of the things you see is this diverse unity that the church is supposed to be marked by. You see that in the early church. See, the, the Roman world at that time, the, the, the known world at that time, was incredibly divided. It was this caste system, you know, the poor never associated with the rich. You had these people that worshiped these gods and these people worshiped these gods. They never interacted. They never talked to each other. It was extremely divided. And then in the church... You had all these different people, all these different backgrounds, all these different, you know, leanings one way or the other, all these different, you know, socioeconomic stuff. They laid all of that aside and they worshiped together. They were united under the banner of Jesus Christ. And that spoke volumes to the world around them. That spoke volumes to the world around them. Who is this God that, that people completely different, that would never associate with one another otherwise, come together and worship and are like friends and family and care for one another and serve one another and love each other? Like, what's up with that? That's crazy. That was the early church. Look, I don't know about y'all, but when you look out at our culture today, there's not much unity. There's not much unity. It's like, you know, the past two years, somebody just poured a gasoline on all the arguments and just like threw a match and boom, like that's what's going on. And it is, it is easy to get out there and fight and have arguments and be just divided about a whole bunch of different things. But what, what witness would we be able to show the world around us if we laid aside those differences? And we came together and worshiped and loved each other and cared for one another. And that we didn't have to agree on everything. We don't have to be uh, all the same in everything. But if we can agree on Jesus, that's what matters. That's the kind of church we're supposed to be. And through that unity, we can give a clear picture of the gospel to the world around us. And Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Building off this idea, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility, there's that word again, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And what he's talking about there is when we bear with one another, it means we put up with each other. So Paul's already acknowledging, look, you're going to have issues. There's going to be strife. There's going to be friction. Guess what you do? You bear with one another in love because here's why. The end of this, it says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what we're called to do. We lay aside our differences. We lay aside these things that could easily divide us. We say no to that. And we, we eagerly work towards unity. We fight for unity. We protect our unity, church. That's what we're supposed to do. And by doing that, we give a witness to the world around us as to what only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can take a bunch of different people, bring them together, and they like love each other and care about each other and worship together. Only Jesus can do that. Amen. Only Jesus can. So through our unity, we give a witness to the world around us. So we are to be united. So we're to have humility, we're to be united, and then our third point is that we are to be a church that serves. We are to be a church characterized by its serving. Look at what he says here in verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8, he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So what's Paul talking about here? I think a lot of times we can get kind of lost in this, you know, one of these things that Christians love to fight about, spiritual gifts. And you got some people on one side that are like, no, certain gifts aren't active. And you got other people on the other side, no, they're all active. You know, all that stuff. It's open-handed. We're not going to close our fists around those things. Uh, but that's not what Paul's point here is. So I could spend the next, you know, 30 minutes or so. We could break down each of these gifts. We can talk all about that. Maybe we'll do that at some point. That's not what his point here is. 
What Paul's point here is, is that if you're a believer in Jesus, you've been gifted. Number one, first thing, you've been given a gift. The Bible talks about this spiritual gifts. Those are gifts given to us sovereignly by the Holy Spirit to be used for his glory. So we've been gifted. If you're a believer in here, you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit, and we've been gifted differently. So we don't have, again, we don't have the same function. We're different in our gifts. So we've been given a gift. It's a different gift. And here's the thing, we're to use that gift. That's Paul's point in this passage. That's what he's trying to get us to see, is that we've all been gifted. We've all been given gifts from the Spirit. We've all been given talents and abilities and passions. We've been shaped and molded by Jesus for the point and the purpose of using that to serve one another. That's his point here. You've been given a gift, and you're to use that gift to serve others. And look, this serving that he calls us to, it's based on the first few things that we've talked about. It's based on our humility and it's based on our unity. So again, if we have an accurate view, if we're not thinking too highly of ourselves, if we're not filled with pride and arrogance, then I will serve. If, I'm, if I see myself as united and connected together with other believers, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see these needs, I'm going to meet these needs, I'm, I'm going to be eager to serve one another. Because if I'm connected to you, if you're hurting, then I'm hurting. If you've got struggles, then I've got those struggles because we're connected together. See, if we have unity and we have humility, we're going to serve one another. And look, the context for this, and this is important, the context that we see for spiritual gifts, every single time you see spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament, the context is the author is writing to believers in a local church. And what that tells us is the primary reason we've been given our spiritual gifts is to serve one another within the local church. That's the primary reason we've been gifted, is to use our gift to serve one another in the church. And see, when when we aren't serving, when we aren't using our gifts and our talents and our abilities for Jesus Christ and to serve one another, we are neglecting the primary reason we've been given that gift to begin with. We're neglecting the reason that God has brought us in to a local church. We're neglecting one of those primary reasons. We're not operating the way that Jesus would have us. We're going against our design when we don't serve one another. Uh, I told you guys about my family, so I should know this. I've got three kids. Uh, so we've got Zayden, he's our oldest, Livy, our middle child, and then uh, our baby, Mila. And uh, our oldest, Zayden, he's going to turn six in a couple of weeks. So around Thanksgiving, he's going to have a birthday on November 26th, uh, and he's going to turn six. Uh, now, last year when he turned five, we told our kids uh, that when they turned five, they, they got to get a fish. So that was their big, like, five-year present is they get a fish, because um, I know that if we had a dog, that I would be responsible for the dog. And I've told my family, if we get a dog, I'm not taking care of the dog. So y'all figure that out. Um, so we, we agreed, you know what, we'll get him, we'll get him a fish. Uh, so we got, you know, Zay, when he turned five, we got him a fish. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't really know anything about taking care of fish, but I know that if, if I don't figure this out and help our kids take care of their fish, that fish has no chance of survival. Um, so we, we went to the pet store, and we didn't want, you know, like a goldfish that you just have to like, you know, every couple of days cycle in a new one pretty much. Uh, so we're like, okay, you know, betta fish can last at least a, a few weeks, a few months if we do this thing right. So we got our kids a betta fish. So Zayden, when he turned five, we took him to the pet store, he picked out a betta fish, and then because my wife and I don't, you know, we didn't, I don't have betta fish up until now. Now we have two. Um, I didn't know anything about fish and what to do. And again, I don't, I don't want this to be my fault due to negligence and ignorance that my kids' fish die immediately. So uh, my wife and I immediately find like you know this nice, sweet uh, girl that works at the pet store, and we're just like peppering her with questions. I'm sure she was like, it's a fish, guys. Chill out. But we're like, no, we want to keep this fish alive. Tell us how to keep this fish alive. Uh, so she tells us, hey, one of the things you need to keep in mind is the water that you use. I'm like, what are you talking about? I just I don't know, fill it up from the sink. Like, what do you mean the water that we, again, I don't know anything. Um, so she's like, no, you got to use like purified drinking water. And it's like, you know, 80 cents at the store in this, you know, gallon tub or whatever. So like, use the purified drinking water. But here's the deal. You got to replace that every few weeks. So every couple of weeks, you need to take a little bit out, put a little bit in. And then like once a month, you need to take out like half of the water and then like replace the other half with, with new fresh drinking water. I was like, okay, sounds good. And she's like, but be careful. If you take out too much water, 
and you put too much new water in, your fish is going to go into shock, and it's not going to survive. And I was like, okay, noted. Um, so she hooked us up with all these, you know, cleaning materials. And one of the things that they, they have to clean the tanks as you take out some of the water is this, like, pump with a siphon kind of built in. You, like, kind of pump the water out. It starts sucking the water out, and it siphons, and it sucks up all, you know, the stuff that is in there from the fish after a month's worth of, you know, living and surviving. Um, so came the first time to clean the fish tank once, uh, you know, like I said, once a month. So it came to our first month. Uh, we're ready to clean. All the kids are like gathered around the sink, ready for us to clean the fish tank. And I start, I get the siphon thing out. It's not really working. I'm, I'm like, you know, focused on, I'm like, this seems so simple on the YouTube video that you watch. It's like 30 seconds of a video and you're like, ooh, I can do that. No, you can't. Um, so I, I feel like, oh, I got this. I don't. So I'm trying to figure this siphon thing out. And that's what I'm focused on. Like I am dialed in to focus on, on getting this thing to work, to start sucking out the water. And every time I like squeeze the pump, a little bit comes out. And then finally, I get the siphon to work. And like I said, I've been dialed in on that. And like I told y'all last week, I'm not observant. I don't know what else is going on around me. So I'm focused on that. I'm not paying attention to how much water is actually coming out. I'm like, oh, I got it to work. I'm real excited that I finally got this to work. And uh, Kendra all of a sudden goes, stop. And I was like, what, what happened? She's like, look at the water. And y'all, it is like almost to the bottom. This fish probably has like that much water. I'm like, oh no. We took too much out. And so we're trying not to let, you know, Zayden, who's the, his new fish here named Isaac, we're trying not to let him know, like, hey, Isaac's in trouble. So uh, we, like, put the kids to bed quickly, like, all right, y'all go to bed. Dad's going to figure this out. And I get the new water that we had, and it wasn't enough. So I had to go to the store. And y'all, I, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but y'all, the whole way to the store, the whole way getting the water, and the whole way home, I'm just praying for this fish. A month in, I'm like, please, Lord, do not let me kill this fish because I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. So I get home. I get the water. I put the water in. Y'all, I'm laying hands on the tank. I'm praying the demons out of the new water. I'm praying, Lord, just bless this fish. I know it's silly, but that's what I was doing. So we went to bed praying for this fish. The first thing I do when I wake up, I go and check on the fish. He's good, y'all. He's good. The Lord delivered. That hedge of protection worked. That He has been saved and redeemed. It didn't last long. We've done two fish funerals uh, in our backyard um, over the last year, but but Isaac did live for for several months after that. Um, but yeah, I've learned a lesson. Like you got to pay attention and do things the right way, right? Or you got to do things the way that they're intended to work. And and here it is. Uh, the connection here with with serving is when we don't serve, we are going against our design. We are going against the way that God has wired us and created us. We're going against what he's called us to do in the church. He has brought us together, and one of the reasons he's brought us together is to serve one another, is to serve each other. So why? Why why are we to serve? Just to help reinforce this idea, let me give you uh, four quick reasons why we're supposed to serve. One, Jesus served. Jesus served, and if we are to be his followers, we follow him in everything that he does and everything that he says. And one of the things he says in Mark 10, 45, is Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So if Jesus, God himself, said, I didn't come to be served. Now look, if anybody deserved to be served, it's Jesus. It's God, right? But Jesus says, no, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And as his followers, we follow in his lead, no matter what it looks like. So if Jesus served, guess what? You and I got to serve. Now look, for truthfully, that, that should be the only reason we need to do anything. Jesus did it. I got to do it. It's cool. Sounds good. But you know, for those of us, maybe need some more convincing. I got three more reasons for you. Uh, one, uh, another one, second one is we've already talked about this, but here in Romans and several other places in the New Testament, we, we are told that we're gifted and we're called to serve. So we are gifted for serving and we are commanded to serve. That's another reason. Jesus served, we're gifted and commanded to serve. Uh, another reason, by serving, it demonstrates our love for others. It demonstrates our love for one another. In John 13, Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. That's not a new command. Uh, that's all throughout the Old Testament. That's not a new command. But what was new is what came before that. Right before that, if you read John 13, you see that Jesus humbly serves all of his disciples by washing their feet. And he says, go and do the same for one another and love one another. Love and serving are connected in Scripture. We demonstrate our love for others by serving. Uh, another reason that we should serve is that God uses us 
to make a difference. He really does. I've seen this time and time again. Even though we think, man, I, I'm, just, I'm just watching kids for an hour. I'm just standing somewhere to greet people as they come in. I'm just pressing a button on a computer to make the slides go in the right order. Like you might think that it's just small and insignificant, but I'm telling you it's not. It's not. God uses all of these things. He uses all of our efforts, all of our desires to make a true impact in the lives of other people. Well, we see this in places like Ephesians 4.12 says that we're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For what purpose? Why are we to minister? Why are we to serve? Why are we to, to follow Jesus in this? For building up the body of Christ. For building others up. At 1 Corinthians 14.3, Paul, again, writing on spiritual gifts, says this, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, Paul's primarily talking about the gift of prophecy here, but that, that could be extended to all the spiritual gifts. That when we serve, when we use our gifts and service one another, we, we are building others up. We are encouraging people. We are consoling people. We are loving and caring for people. When we serve, no matter where we serve, no matter how we serve, God is using us to shape and mold us and to impact those around us and to make a difference in the lives of those around us. So, church, what, what, what's the action step? You know, what, what, as we talk about this, what, what are we supposed to do with this? What does this look like to walk in obedience here? Our action step, our, our only application point for today is to serve, is that we are to serve. Every single one of us, we are to serve. So if, if you're here at the church at Haynes Creek, if you call this your church, say, man, if, I'm, if somebody out in the world asks me, hey, what church do you go to? You say the church at Haynes Creek. If that's your answer, if this is your church, you're to be serving. You are to serve. We are all to be serving. Look, here, here's the deal, especially in church planning. Y'all, we can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. All right, we, we all need each other to make this thing happen. We want to build a church. We want to see Jesus build a church. Well, then we got to walk in obedience to what he's called us to do. And one of those things is, is he's brought all of us here. He's brought each of you here. And part of the reason is, is to serve one another. We need you. Look, y'all, this church is too small to have the same people doing stuff every single Sunday. It just is. It just is. And, and I see some of the same people doing the same stuff every single week. And look, those that do that, just know I love you and I'm thankful for you. And I, we seriously could not, would not be here without you. But look, we need all of us, every single one of us, doing this together. As we talked about in our first week, Jesus builds the church, but one of the ways he does that is by bringing a group of people together, putting them in a church together, and saying, walk in obedience to me. Follow me. I'm going to use you to build my church. So, y'all, we've got to start taking some ownership here, and we've got to start serving together. We've got to do this together. It's going to take every single one of us working together to build and sustain this church the way the Lord wants us to. So we've got to walk in obedience. We have to serve. And like I said, many of you are already doing that. And thank you. Seriously, thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. I'm so grateful that you're already using your gifts. But for those that aren't, I'm going to make it super easy for you. Put this card on all the seats. You probably saw this when you walked in. Hopefully, you didn't just toss it aside and throw it on the ground. If you did, that's okay. I forgive you. I love you. Grab another one. Um, so here's the deal. This is a, a simple way to sign up to serve. So if you're already serving, whether it's kids ministry, worship team, whatever the case is, you can disregard this. But for those that are not serving somewhere, here's the action step. Sign up to serve. Okay, and look, here's the beauty of it. You don't have to pray about whether to serve or not. Jesus has already answered that prayer. Okay, so I, I, you've been freed up from that prayer. Okay, so if you need to take some time to consider where do I serve, maybe you come and talk to me and I'll help you figure out you know, where the best place is. Uh, you, we can think about that. We can talk about that. But, but it, whether to serve or not to serve, Jesus has already answered and he's already said yes, serve. Okay, so here's the deal. Here are some of the teams that we're trying to, again, as we, as we build this church, as we try to build in some structure and some strategy, as we build this thing, as we launch this thing, there's some key teams that need some more help. And that's what you have here on this card. So let me walk through these, um, and, and I'm going to give you my sales pitch uh, to sign up to serve, which isn't, isn't much. You've already heard it. Um, let me walk through these teams so you know exactly what you'd be agreeing to, what you'd be signing up for. Uh, first one, kids ministry. 
kids' ministry. So let me take some, some time here because um, we're going to do some different stuff going forward uh, with kids' ministry. Uh, the first thing is, is we are going to expand our kids' ministry through fifth grade. So we're going to have a space for kids aged birth through fifth grade. And I want to be careful here because I know, I know this is different than what we've typically done as a church. I know this is even different uh, from our sending church, First Baptist Covington. So let me be clear about what's going on here and just say a few things. Let me take some time here. First, just know your kids are always welcome in the service. There will be no pressure one way or the other to put your kids in kids ministry, to bring your kids in here. You get the option. You get the choice. And just know your children are always welcome. I've got three running around my house all day long. Your kids are not going to phase me, bother me one bit. I came up in ministry doing student ministry, and those kids are way more distracting than anybody else. So if I can do that, then I'm pretty sure I got this. Um, So just know your kids are always, our church is going to be welcome to everybody no matter what, and that includes people of all ages, including your kids. All right, so just know your kids are always welcome in this service. We love and appreciate you and your children. They were always welcome. Uh, The second thing is what we're doing here um, with our kids' ministry. First off, um, it's not babysitting. All right, it's not babysitting. We are not just, you know, putting your kids in a room, playing VeggieTales and saying, cool, have fun. Uh, So it's not babysitting and it's not entertainment. All right, we're not trying to build six flags over Jesus over there. That's not the goal. The goal is a, a discipleship ministry, a discipleship ministry. That is what we are working towards. That is what we're trying to do here is a discipleship ministry. And parents, hear this, parents, having that, does not remove you from the primary discipler of your family. Okay, this would get, get uh, your kids in kids' ministry in a room with an awesome volunteer for one hour. You've got them for the other 160-plus hours during the week. Okay, you are the primary discipler of your children. This is not something to abdicate your responsibility here. Okay, this is a way for us as a church to come alongside and encourage and support you in that discipleship process much like our small groups or Sunday school work. It doesn't remove the fact of you as a believer growing in your uh, knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ, growing in your faith, but it is a support. It is a way to come alongside and encourage and spur you on towards that. So that's what we're trying to do with our kids' ministry. It is a discipleship ministry. It's no longer a nursery. It is a, it is a discipleship ministry where volunteers who will be background checked, who will be trained, and will be deployed to love on and care for your children no matter what their ages are. So for those that want to opt in, for those that want to have this, uh, we would encourage you, uh, bring your kids over there. They're going to be loved on, they're going to be cared for, and they're going to be taught the Bible in an age-appropriate way. Um, To that end, we're going to switch curriculums. We're going to start doing what's called the Gospel Projects put out by Lifeway, Um, and it is all about teaching Scripture in a way that that ties everything back to what Jesus does for us on the cross. Um, So it's all about the Gospel. It's incredible. It's awesome. Um, But here's the deal. To what I just said, that, that we need each other, we need more people serving in that area. All right, so we got, in order to expand, we need more volunteers. So those that are already serving there, praise God for you. But we need 10 more people, all right? 10 more people signing up to serve in kids' ministry. So if you have a heart for children, if you have a heart for discipleship, of seeing the next generation come to know Jesus, worship Jesus, serve Jesus, this place is for you. And here's the deal. Like I said, we'll background check. It's going to be a safe environment, and we'll also train you. So we're going to have a training coming up in a couple of weeks where we'll train you on all of these new things, all the new curriculum, current volunteers, new volunteers. Uh, So we need 10 of you today in the coming weeks to sign up, and we're going to launch this uh, in the new year. January, we're going to launch this new kids' ministry. So be praying for that. Um, And if you can and are willing and able to serve in this ministry, just know we would love to have you. But for those of you that are like, nope, hate kids, don't want anything to do with kids, I get it. I get it. There's other places to serve, okay? So that don't, don't, if you're like, no, that's a need, I'm going to yell at those kids, but I'm going to meet that need. No, 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 don't, 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 don't do that. Let me, let me help you find another place to serve, okay? Um, so there's other places, First Impressions, serving under JB's leadership. Uh, these are folks, if you have a heart for people as they come in to welcome people in the name of Jesus, to say hi with a smiling face, to greet people as they come in, to hang out at our table, to welcome first-time guests and serve and love on them, that's a great place for you to serve. So if you're a high extrovert, you love talking to people, this place is for you, all right? Uh, now for my introverted people, if you're like, no, I want to do more behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, coffee team. So I've asked Franklin to head up having coffee for us every morning, uh, so he, Miss Jeannie, actually made it this week. Uh, but we need more folks doing that, all right? So if you can get here early, 
Uh, if you want to be, you know, more behind the scenes, setting stuff up, getting the coffee ready to go, uh, we could use your help with that. I know Franklin, he's got a billion other things that he's doing. Uh, he needs your help. Um, our tech team, our tech team, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but Chris and Blake do this every single week. And when one of them's out, the other person is running around like a crazy person with their hair on fire, okay? We can't have that. We need some more people serving on that team. So if you look at those, that setup back there and you're not intimidated or scared off by the technology or the buttons that are there, see me, I see that, and I'm like, well, I gotta press all those. I gotta press all that stuff and it's probably gonna blow everything up. So I should not be back there messing with stuff. But if you see that and you're like, I'm not intimidated by this, I'm sure that I'm speaking on behalf of them, but they can train you, uh, they can help you, and it will relieve them of uh, some stress. So if that's you, if you love technology, you're good with technology, have a heart for that, uh, we could absolutely use you on that team. And then our worship team, certainly under Johnny's leadership on Sunday. If you uh, are gifted musically, vocally, we would love to have you. Now, here's the deal. You know, this is not a team for everybody. Like, like me, I can make a joyful noise to the Lord, um, not a beautiful sound to the Lord. All right? So if you're like me and you can make a joyful noise, uh, we need you and me out in the congregation singing. All right? We don't need you up here with the microphone. But if you can, if you can sing, if you can play, uh, we would love for you to use your gifts here. Some of y'all are. Some of y'all are gifted, uh, and you're not using that gift to bless this congregation to help lead us in worship. And we would love, we have a space for you here, all right? There is a place for you to use that, and we would love to have you. So here's the deal. That, that's, that's what's going on, church. So this is, this is what we're trying to build, so be praying for this. Uh, if you're not currently on one of these teams, I would love to invite you. If this is your church, we got to own this together. we got to do this together. So let's do this. Let's sign up to serve. So here's the application step. Uh, here's what we do in obedience to the scripture we heard today. We serve. So take this, fill it out. You can leave it in your seat. You can drop it in the basket in the back, put it on the table in the back. You can put it up here uh, on this podium when you leave today. Uh, but let's do this together, church. We need you. We need each other. We're called to do it. Jesus commands us to do it. He tells us what to do. And we need to walk in obedience to that. God can and wants to use each and every one of you, no matter your gifting, your background, your talents, your abilities. He, he's, he's brought all of that together. And one of the reasons he's done that and one of the reasons he's brought you here is to serve, is to use who you are in Christ to serve one another. So let's do that together. So all of you, you're here for two weeks, two months, two years, two decades. I don't care. Sign up to serve. You call this your church. Let's serve together, all right? So let's, uh, let's work towards this. So I would encourage you to fill out this card. Again, you can leave it in your seat. You can drop it off at the back, put it on that table, put it in the box back there. You can bring it to me directly, however you want to do it. Just fill it out, and let's do this thing together, church. All right, so as, as we wrap up our time today, just, just a reminder of what we saw in Scripture, what we see in Romans 12 is we see Paul calling individual believers and churches to walk in humility, to fight for unity, and to serve one another. So church, as we build this church, as we seek to follow God's leading and establishing and building this church, let's walk in obedience to this. Let's be a church marked by humility and unity, and serving. Wherever there is pride, let's kill it off and work towards humility. Where, where, there's, where there's division, where there's fighting, where there's gossiping, where there's arguing, let's instead eagerly work towards unity. And where there are needs and opportunities to serve, let's step up and serve. Let's joyfully and willingly serve one another in the name of Jesus Christ. And look, as the thing, as we serve, as we serve, we follow Jesus' lead. As we said earlier, in service to us, Jesus leaves the glory and the riches of heaven. He comes down and lives the perfect life that you and I never could, and he gives his life on the cross for us. That's what Jesus has done for us. No one could, could ever say that they've done that for us. Only Jesus can say that. So let's respond to him serving us by serving one another. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going we're gonna to do what we're going to do every single Sunday, and that is celebrate the Lord's table, celebrate communion. Uh, as we announced last week, every time we gather, we're going to take this moment at the end of service 
to participate and to celebrate communion and the Lord's Supper. This is what we see, the, the pattern given to us in the New Testament is when believers would gather together, they would gather together and break bread. That, that's what they're talking about. They, they would celebrate communion. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, believers in the room, this is our opportunity uh, to, to participate in communion. Jesus, when he sets this up, he says we do this in remembrance and celebration of what he does for us on the cross. So after I pray, the band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a couple songs of worship. I want to encourage all the believers in the room, take a moment, prepare your hearts. Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer. Maybe you spend some time repenting of some sin. Maybe you need to, to work towards restoring some relationships. I don't know what the case is. I don't know what you got going on, but, but take a moment, prepare your hearts. And as you feel led, you can go to the tables. We have them set up on either side of uh, the sanctuary here on either side. You can go as you feel led. You go to the table. You take the elements. And as you come back, again, as you feel led when you're ready, on your own, you, you take the elements. You take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus you take the cup and representing the shed blood of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And church, we, we celebrate what God has done. And then after you take the elements, let's stand together. Let's, let's worship our good God and Savior. And look, just to be clear, this is, this is for believers only. So if you're here and you're not a believer, just know I love you. I'm thankful that you're here. I want you to keep coming. Uh, but this time is not for you. This is the time for us as believers to take a moment to worship and celebrate what Jesus alone has done for us, that he has rescued us, that he has saved us from our sins. But here's the deal. If you're, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity. Let today be the day of your salvation. Come to Jesus. He has his arms open, welcoming all that would put his, their faith in him. Jesus gave his life for you, and he's the only one who can provide you forgiveness. He's the only one who can provide you hope and fulfillment and satisfaction, redemption and love. He's the only one who can do that. So I would invite you into this. Put your faith in Jesus, and then come to the table. Celebrate your first communion as a follower of Jesus, and then come let us know so we can jump up and down and celebrate with you, because that's an awesome thing. All right, praise God for that. Welcome to the family. Uh, but as I pray, if that's you, all you got to do is tell Jesus that. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. You're the only one who can save me. I'm trusting you to rescue me, and I want to live for you. That's all you got to do. All you got to do is put your faith in Jesus, and he welcomes you in, saves you, redeems you, sets you free. Let me pray for us. We'll step into this time of communion and worship as we conclude our time today, Lord. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, we, we love you. Lord, I thank you for your sacrifice, for your willingness to serve us, Lord. We don't deserve that. In fact, we do everything to tell you that, that we don't deserve that at all. And yet, Lord, you still love us. You see every part of brokenness in us, and you respond with, I love you, and I'm giving my life for you. Jesus, thank you for the ways you love us. Thank you for the ways that you serve. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that responds to that by serving you and serving one another, Lord. Use us in whatever way you see fit to, to love on and care for this body of believers. Lord, I pray that you continue to prepare in our hearts for what you would have us to be as a church. You would continue to lay a foundation that you would continue to build a church that has a heart for you, that has a heart for our community, that will see the gospel impact those around us. Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor today. In your name we pray. Amen.